0: Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. And today we're going to talk about art and the creative process involved creating not only a piece of art, but a whole exhibition and sending the message. And this is also one of our stories about immigration, about that message that comes when multicultural backgrounds collide and create something new, something beautiful. So I want to welcome Steven Huerta, an artist, a Holyoke resident, and also an important participant of the celebrations of Immigrant Heritage Month during the month of June here in the city of Holyoke because his exhibition has been presented at the Wisteria Hearst Museum, and we're gonna talk a little bit about those pieces and the process and the art and the history, a lot of history involved in this exhibition as well. Stephen, welcome.
1: Thank you, Johan, it's, it's great to be here, thank you.
0: <laughs> so let's start a little bit with knowing about you. So you are living here in Holyoke, but you come from California, and also you have a background that connects with Mexico.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, So I um, was born in California. And I think I moved to New England when I was 23. And I lived in Boston for 17 years. And um, kind of went back and forth, you know, over the country, you know, going from here to there working um, for Starbucks. Um, Transfers are very easy to do, for, um, for the most part. So I would go back and visit my family and stuff. And and yeah, um, my whole life I was raised with the idea of um, where I came from in terms of um, the migrant farmworker uh, movement. My grandmother was a huge um, supporter and participant in the UFW, um, United Farm Workers Union, with Cesar Chavez. And so just growing up, that was always kind of like just a part of our history. Just, you know, viva la huelga, you know, is all about working and, you know, supporting workers and, you know, and fighting for workers and for farmworkers' rights, especially, and um I think that's just something that's always been kind of like a tone to my, my character for like all my years. I've always just kind of like gone back to that origin story of, of being, you know, working class American, Mexican or Mexican-Americans. And then just kind of like, you know taking that with me this whole time. You know, I'm 43 now, I think. I think I'm 43. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, that's basically it. I just really wanted to incorporate that message from where I'm from um, and reconcile it with me being uh, an American citizen of privilege, you know, and, and really with a huge disconnection to where I came from in, in the first place. Like my grandmother's life was, um, she, I mean, she grew up in dramatic p- poverty. I mean, they're migrant farmers because they slept on dirt. You know, they um, made their own little shanty towns, um, so to speak, um, on the farmlands and just kind of like followed um, crops all throughout the West Coast. And um, and that was her life for, I think, forever, as far as I can tell. I mean, of course, she got too old to work the fields and stuff. And and um, my grandfather got into some property, so they were able to buy a house and support their family and just kind of like branch out from there.
0: When you arrived to the city of Holyoke. What did you found here?
1: I found that it was a, an entirely different country from the city of Boston. <laughs> um, it was um, it was almost actually reminiscent of my life growing up in the Central Valley in California. It really felt like um, it had that weird town to town separation, um, where you kind of like go from one one city to the next, and I mean it's divided by forests, whereas in California it was divided by farmlands, and also it's it was it was very jarring for me to be. Um, in a community where, um, how do I put this? It was just—it was definitely a, a very different experience. I felt quelled. I didn't have a lot of resources. I really felt that I had no networking or connections, for, um, so to speak. And I mean, granted, my my whole social life was basically work. And so I'd come home and wonder about doing art and just kind of like, well, I have no one to make it for, you know. So it almost got to the point where I'm like, I'm just gonna make art and just drop it in the street, and you know, whoever picks it up, there you go, enjoy. <laughs> you know, so. But um, it wasn't until this opportunity came up that I really felt like Holyoke, for the most part, opened up, and it was such a wonderful experience to be part of like the Wisteriahurst Museum's like gallery, and also Immigrant Heritage Month has been amazing. But yeah, my my first initial reaction to this town was, I mean, one, it, there was almost a tragic side to how beautiful it used to be because you can see the bones of the city and it's gorgeous. And then, you know, in stark contrast to like basically the level amount of like, I guess poverty or even almost like an oppressive like sadness about, you know, this community that, um, that really was definitely my initial like, you know, impression. And it's not until, like, probably, like, recently over the past, like, four years that I've actually been able to actually explore that more and see people for, you know, who they are and actually, you know, talk to people and kind of, like, engage with them the way I do. So it was, it was definitely a culture shock. <laughs> yeah.
0: And this becomes also your inspiration to create, mm-hmm. to create the art. So before getting to the pieces of your exhibition, mm-hmm. how did you get involved? What motivated you to start creating art?
1: For me, it was, I mean, one, I, I had no money, so I didn't have access to art. Like, I would go to, like, galleries, and I'd go to, you know, like, home interior shops, and I'd see these pieces on the wall, and I'd be like, I, there's no way I'm dropping $500 for something like this, you know, and and I'm, I mean, being a singer, I, um, I used to, like, really, really, like, just perform a lot and sing, and for my um, kind of, like, unwinding practices, I would draw or I would paint and I would just like, kind of like dabble with art because that was how I kind of relaxed after performing. Um, That got really big actually. And it wasn't until a friend of mine was just kind of like, you should show this. And I was like, why would I do that? I mean, why would I show all these like, you know, like doodles that I've been doing for years? And I mean, and the inspiration for like all the doodling and like actually like framing and putting up artwork was because I just, I couldn't afford it. And I, I was I just, I came to the conclusion that if you can't afford it, then create it, you know, just make it, you know, if it doesn't exist, create it, you know, because I mean, it's within everyone's, I guess, capability to, to create, you know, from like, you know, from children to artwork to houses to, you know, whatever you may, I mean, you do have the ability to create. And that was when I, I decided to, to utilize that creative urge and actually start making more art, and and also um, being inspired to like do a showing, um, really really exploded that urge within me. That I mean, quite frankly, it was pretty much dormant. I thought it was just a hobby, and it actually became a, a huge passion and really a driving force for who I am today. Just as, you know, as, as an artist.
0: For whoever has seen your work at the Wisteria hearst or and also to help some people to picture some of the work that you that you are presenting. Well, it's fair to say it is three dimensional mm-hmm. because it has elements uh, that are not necessarily paintings. It is a multimedia where you utilize different elements that go from post stamps, coins, but all of this is entangled with a with a story, and. I love the concept that you presented that it is a song. Mm. So what can you tell a little bit about that?
1: Well, it was funny because when I was first um, asked to do the show at the Wisteria Hearst, um, uh, Andres Velada from the mayor's um, office, and was like, would you like to do, uh, you know, an art show for um, the Wisteria Hearst? We're having this huge event, Immigration um, Immigrant Heritage Month, and, you know, we need an artist. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'll just do like three three or four pieces. And, you know, and you guys can like pick whichever one you want, you know, and, and I'll just, you know, I guess, you know, show and be proud. And and it turned out that it was going to be a one-man show. And I freaked out because it was just um, a huge space. And um, we finally went to go see the Wisteria Hearst one day with Kate Preissler and, um, I was overwhelmed with how big the gallery space was. And I remember, I think they wanted me to go out to lunch with them. And I was like, no, I'm going straight home. And I'm like, I have to go home and work. Like, this is what I'm doing now for, like, the next three months. And um, as I was um, coming up with pieces or concepts, I mean, it really, really started with just washes, like just watercolor washes. I just wanted um, just to get my color story going. And as the work evolved, I realized that I wasn't just doing paintings. I was writing a song. And almost as if I was channeling a song, um, almost a song of the country, one that my grandmother's featured in, you know, in terms of my history. And, and it just hit me. I'm like, I'm, you're writing a song, Stephen. This is what you're doing. And I, of course, you know, was listening to music the whole time I was making stuff. So I was just kind of like, all right, who's going to join in on the choir now? You know, and I definitely, you know, turned to a lot of artists that have inspired me over the years. And um and I just yeah, it was—it's a very distinct impression that I was writing a song, and it was one that I felt like had began before me, began before us, and was you know, a worker song. It definitely was about um, about the idea that um, so many different types of people from fo- so many different types of nations and ethnicities and, and backgrounds have all come to America with this idea of becoming more, and they all started off as workers. I'm sure, like the forefathers, of course, you know, were you know you know, aristocracy, so to speak, you know, so they don't probably, you know, contribute much to this song. I mean, they do. I mean, the the founding fathers and all that. But um, I felt like just the heart, the grit of America was about workers. It was about people who came here with nothing and just really wanted to, like, create something. Kind of almost like the idea of my art. It's like, you know, if it's not there, you create it. And that's kind of what they did and contributed to. And they all came here to work. I mean, Holyoke especially. I mean, Skinner came here as an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he built, you know, his fortune, you know, on, on silk, and it was just one of those things, you know, like, if you don't have it, create it. And I just felt like I was channeling that song, that song of the worker that, you know, has as even now is still being sung. And, you know, my grandmother's pieces, of course, were like little solos that she's had throughout, you know, the stages of her life and one that I'm a part of now. And um, and kind of taking that idea and um, transitioning it to like my own, I guess, spotlight, so to speak, my own, you know, my own story, my own song, which is really different from my grandmother's from like... Um, a working class, I mean, not even a working class, I don't even know what to call it, just a migrant farm worker because, I mean, there really wasn't, you know, like, you know, they weren't a class, they were they, they were like farm workers. And, um, and trying to reconcile, reconcile that with being, like, a gay Buddhist, you know, Mexican artist in 2017 and how, like, her journey began as um, a farm worker and how now I've basically, you know, carried on that song as I am now. And just trying to figure out how to meet those two, you know, stories together, those two, you know, movements, so to speak.
0: So you mentioned that you were listening to music during the whole time you were working on Mm -hmm. on this exhibit. Can you remember some of the pieces that you were listening to?
1: Um, Well, for me, I mean, when I was a singer, I, I did a lot of, like, I guess, avant-garde, like, 90s alternative music. So uh, there was a lot of, like, Suzy the Banshees, Morrissey, you know, <laughs> all those bands, the Cocteau Twins. It was just, like, seriously, like, lots of layered, multidimensional music. And that was the kind of the, the stuff I used to sing. So it was, like, Sarah McLaughlin, all these guys, you know. And um, there was just, you know... I- I think um, Elastica, just a lot of like, you know, Kate Pearson just came out with a new album, I think in 2015. So I was just kind of like, all right, girl, you're going to sing this with me. So, you know, and just, you know, all these like highly energetic, um, deep, thoughtful songs as well, you know, and just, I think Lhasa, which is one of my favorite, you know, bands um, that's I, for some reason, whenever I listen to that band and they're like an Argentinian band on a Canadian label and um, the, the female singer, I, almost call it like a gypsy waltz. It has this really like strange um, cadence to it that is just beautiful and lush and her vocals are just very like passionate and, and you know, and, and hard and beautiful at the same time. And so just kind of, you know, just, just so many different types of music. A lot of um a lot of Nina Simone as well as, you know, like Billie Holiday, just anyone, anyone I can sing to, I, I listen to, you know, so and while I did art. And,
0: so just to give a little reference for all the music fans, we're talking about uh, artists from the Canadian-level network and from the American-level project mm-hmm. <laughs> and, of course, 4AD in, yeah, oh, in yeah. Britain, the to Twins. So this means, Steven, you have to do one of our curated sound sessions so you can create a playlist. And, oh
1: gosh. Yeah, and I know, we can enjoy
0: of some of your musical selections. <laughs> well, we will talk. This is an amazing discovery. Hearing mentioning those names and, and these labels and these lines of music creation that yeah, it is another way to play with textures, with sounds, to mm. create landscapes. And that connects a lot with the work that you are making. On your pieces where different components different materials all of them entangle creating this story this song oh yeah this eclectic song
1: (laughs) it's and it's it's always it's always about communication with me it's so funny because like when i use postage stamps um i always think about correspondence as well and it's kind of like you know like the old school method of like you know like writing a letter to somebody and you know sticking a stamp on there and sending it out just i've always felt that i always wanted to convey um Communication. When I was younger, <laughs> um, I used to read these books called um, the Griffin and Sabine novels. And it was like an unusual correspondence. And it was about these two people who like um, created stationery for each other and sent them through like the dimensions, you know, and had a huge love affair of, of the mind. And that always stuck with me, that idea that communication, I mean, there's no obstacle to communication. Well, however you want to convey your message, you can get it through. You can do this. there's ways to do it. And... Um, it's like about communication it's also about um interactivity i really do want people like I, I utilize mirrors a lot because i want people to one um see themselves in my pieces um the reflective quality is there it's really nice to see like shiny things you know it's, it's, you know people are allured by that but at the same time when they pass by they see like a bit of their eye or their nose or their lip and all of a sudden they're part of that art so they've just been captured by the piece being buddhist as well um the idea of reflection is a huge huge concept in um, my buddhist practice in that when I'm saying my daily prayers, I chant in front of this um, scroll called uh, My Kōhonsen, and what it is is this huge scroll with um, Japanese, Chinese, and Sanskrit um, symbols that portray um, your Buddha nature, and it's supposed to be like this relic of that represents the entire Buddha nature. Um, however, we're not supposed to chant to the Kōhonsen because we're to believe that that's already inherent within us. So it's basically a mirror of our soul, and so that that, that Buddhist concept of you know like already like kind of you're at your destination on your journey. And, um, and that was kind of like what I convey. Also, like, you know, Japanese newsprint is kind of a, a nod um, to um, the Japanese practice of Buddhism that I am a participant of. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on. Stitching, kind of like I use a lot of like hand stitching, um, a lot of like um, bead work, because it's always been a passion of mine to kind of like organize chaos. Like, uh, the the paintings and the the, the method I use is, is pretty messy. It can get really messy sometimes. There's a lot of, like, paint everywhere. I think my kitchen floor has so much, like, paint on it that I try to, you know, like, to not get there, but it's there. And, and just trying to tie it all together to organize this chaos, to make sense of, I guess, the world, so to speak. Like, trying to, like, I mean, there's nowadays the message of just, of discord is is a daily message, I think, that we receive. I think we've re- received since nine eleven. 11 in my opinion. Um, I think that's when we as a nation were taught that it was okay to fear every day. Um, I remember um, color-coded days where yeah. the level of urgency that you yeah. were supposed to, like, you know, I guess go throughout your day um, under was, you know, coded by color. And it was an orange day or a yellow day or a red day. Who knew? You know, you better watch out because something's out there and it's going to get you. And I just really felt like just the national discord became one of fear. And I really, really uh, couldn't adhere to that because, I mean, I was taught to not fear these things. I was taught to go out through your day and conquer them. And it's one, you know, that I, even now as a Buddhist, that's that's what it is. It's a warrior's practice. And it's kind of like, no, don't go out in your day with fear. I mean, if there's obstacles, you're going to get through them and they're there for a reason. And I just really, really, really kind of wanted to, like, organize where all that was coming from, like, you know, internally and kind of, you know, portray, or, or portray it through art. So uh,
0: thinking about the colored days, and I just realized there is not anymore a green day.
1: There's never just be cool. You know, it's a good day, guys. Get out there and, you know, enjoy. There's no terror, you know, like, looming over your head today. And it's, I mean, it's one that we have, I mean, really, really just kind of, like, taken for granted in the sense that I know, like, on Facebook itself, I'm just constantly, like, bombarded with, you know, terror attacks and... And, you know, or like um, the government, you know, attacking, you know, healthcare in America. You know, there's just there's a lot of negativity in this nation that I think that we basically flavor our lives with. And it's one of those things that, you know, I mean, we don't even see it now because it's just part of our, you know, part of our everyday existence. I think that's why um, being a creator, being an artist is one of those things that I feel like I'm eternally blessed with because you have to transform ugliness into beauty. I was working a lot with rusty objects, things I found on the street, just junk. I think there's actually like um, five pieces in my showing right now that have like bits of Holyoke that I found on the street. Like little rusty, you know, like, you know, O-rings or, you know, and I've got like a whole collection of like rusty bottle caps at my house that I'm gonna use in something. But it's like the idea of like taking this trash and creating something beautiful out of it. Um, and once again, as another Buddhist practice, it's like turning poison into medicine. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, you know, you're handed a lot of ugliness. And it's like, how do you transform that into something beautiful and inspiring, a strength, so to speak? And and that to me was just kind of like, oh, a no-brainer. You know, but yeah, you just do it. Do it through art, do it through music,
0: do it however you can, you know, and so. So by providing with color and shape and a mixtape on this exhibition, you got the great opportunity of seeing people appreciating your work, their impressions, their thoughts, their feedback. How do you feel after <laughs> after experiencing that?
1: It's incredibly validating because I mean, seriously, I I don't know how many times people were like, "I didn't know you were an artist," and I was like, "Well, you kind of never asked me about myself," So you know, like you, how would you know, you know? But I mean, and I think for the most part, I mean, I appreciate like the Wisteria Hearst Museums, you know, faith in me as well as the mayor's office. I mean, the people who like really, really were just kind of like, yeah, do art. I mean, quite seriously, they took like a huge leap of faith in my ability that they had no evidence of whatsoever. So when I finally turned them over, just to see the excitement and people's reception to it was just awesome. Cause I mean, one, I was glad that I was able to put something out there that people would be able to appreciate. And I was really really shocked that i mean this whole time i mean there was 26 pieces in 3 months that's a lot that's a lot of work i was a very crazy passionate angry artist in my household so you know and and my boyfriend and my roommate were awesome about supporting me in, in my temper tantrums or you know like my my ideas, my thought process, like my seclusion for that matter too. And um, to see that in the public was just, it was nice to see people's response. And it's weird though, in a sense though too, because when I'm done with an art show or when I'm done with a collection of pieces, I really don't connect to them anymore because they're no longer mine. They belong to someone else. They belong to the world, so to speak, or they belong to whoever the buyer is. They're just – they're not mine anymore. Mm-hmm. So to stand back and just look at this show and think, oh, my gosh, I can't believe all of that came from me, you know, like it was just it – was, it was nice, you know, it was, it was really good. And, and, it's, and I know it's right because when I have experienced that kind of cutoff from my creation, I know that now it belongs to someone else or it belongs somewhere else, and I've done my job, you know, so – it was it was it was awesome to, to, to get people's response and also to make some sales which is nice you know that's always like you know a toching is always good at the end of the day you know so that was really encouraging and I just I was shocked at how many people were just really eager to like own my art because I mean from like zero to you know to now I was just like
0: wow <laughs> this is cool so and also, I would like to uh, to hear a little bit more about some of the pictures that are included and some of the pieces because that is also a strong component on the whole story. Oh, work. the
1: ones of my grandmother. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's really funny because I mean I didn't realize this until recently that I mean I used a lot of pictures of my grandmother from the ages I think of from five years old to about like thirty, and they're pictures of her in the migrant um, in the migrant camps, but they're not pictures of her working because. Um, To me, their idea, my grandmother's idea and her family's idea of, you know, taking pictures or even just standing for a photograph were about being American. And the shots I used were her pretty much dolled up, like as a starlet for the time, you know, as as a celebrity or as close to that as possible, because to them, that was America. So to, like, have her wearing lipstick in a picture was probably something that they didn't do every day. Like, they just didn't doll themselves up to work in a field. You just, you know, you don't do that. (laughs) And um, so I really, I I wanted to use those images of the idea, almost the, the facade of America that they were aiming for. But also the realization that when the, you know, the camera was put down, they had to go back to work. And um, the response was really shocking to me that people really, really loved that. They really connected with that. Just the vintage quality and also my grandmother's beauty, for um, for that matter, too. She was, she was quite the babe, you know. <laughs> but it was nice, too, because those pictures um, in themselves, too, were new to me as well. I really didn't experience them that way. My um, relatives had sent me pictures of her um, um, when they found out I was doing this show. I think my sister was really responsible in, like, you know, making sure that I had a lot of imagery for this. And um, picking out the ones that I did... Um, I really, really wanted to share that that idea of of her spirit, and I think hopefully I captured it. I, you know, and all, she's surrounded by gears and mirrors as well too, because that's just you know, she was a worker. It was her worker song as well, you know, and and then it, and and funny on the flip side though, the the newer acrylic pieces are me and drag, and. Um, doing the glamour thing as well that she was doing. And it was funny because I was just kind of like, oh, grandma. <laughs> I wonder if we wore the same shade of lipstick. I'm just curious, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, but it was just funny to see that. And I, do, I really didn't pick up on it at the time. And then, you know, I was just kind of like, huh. You know, just that, that song is still within me. That idea of like, you know, of dressing up for pictures that my grandmother did as well. So that's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> and that is a way to talk about heritage. Mm. How the repercussions of some activities that happen in past times, even though are not exactly the same right now in certain aspects, but still are present. Sometimes in ways that we don't realize immediately, but they are there. Mm-hmm. This is a testimonial of, of that heritage being passed on and being reflected on your work of how do you feel, how do you connect with those pieces of, of memory, those pieces of history, and then a reinterpretation of that in your pieces of art.
1: She, like, I mean, it's funny because I even to this day, I think my, my whole life, actually, I've thought about, like, the ideas of justice or the ideas of, like, you know, fighting for your rights of fighting for, you know, like for someone else who can't speak up for themselves. I definitely got that from her. She had a huge... Huge influence in my life in terms of, of social justice, because you know she was. I think one of my earliest memories was her sending me down to like the corner store, um, this little bodega in Fresno, and she sent me down there for like a half gallon of milk. And I remember um, when I got back, she was angry because I guess the cashier had shortchanged me, and so she marched me right back to the grocery store to like the little bodega, and she just you know I mean basically you know yelled at this man for like shortchanging me, and he gave her her money, and we left and. I remember being so scared at the moment, but even now I just think about like the courage it took for my grandmother to like go down there and you know and and face this guy you know and, and, and really stand up for me and for herself was something that's I've carried with me my whole life and just she taught me how to draw you know like when we used to work um, they had a cherry um, tomato cooperative um, in the valley. And I remember, like, she'd take a break from working in the fields, and she'd come out to where we were. And my brother and I were barefoot the whole summer, just running around the farm, just catching lizards, doing whatever, you know, like little kids do, you know, in the summertime and trying to stay cool. And I remember I used to draw this image of a female, and for some reason I was convinced it was Natalie Wood. And I would always draw Natalie Wood, you know, with, like, long hair and high heel boots, and that was always just the picture of this female figure that I would draw, and she saw me doing it one day and um she was just kind of like, Well, here, let me show you how to draw this really quick. She was like, This is how you draw a face and she drew a little egg and the eyes and the proportion of the you know, the eyebrows and the ears and 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 she was just kind of, you know, like she had a cigarette dangling from her mouth and she was dirty from the fields, but you know, she took the time to like show me how to draw like the face, um, or a face. And I think I do that face over and over and over again for like the whole summer and and just being at her house for that matter, um, she had a lot of um Chinese bird prints she really really was into like um, the Chinese culture Um, which is funny because I use a lot of like Asian themes in my artwork because my grandmother just had that in her house and I remember like sitting down at this huge dining table um, that was chipped and scarred and it was just like you know one of the nicer pieces of uh, pieces of furniture they had and and looking at the birds and trying to draw them looking at these you know Chinese birds trying to like figure them out And her sharpening pencils for me with a knife, which I hated because I wanted a pencil sharpener, you know, that that made noise, you know, that was like, you know, high tech. And she would use her little knife and just chip away a pencil. But I mean, I remember her letting me sit there for hours and hours and hours just drawing, just leaving me be. And I never realized at the time, though, that that was huge to me in that she really created a space for me where I was safe, where I was able to create, where I was able to express myself So to her, I'm probably sure that she was just getting me out of her hair. But to me, it really, really kind of like started almost, you know, this practice of being able to sit by myself and feel safe and to create. And, you know, and even now to this day, I mean, I I do that. I'll think about, you know, her just whittling away at a pencil while I'm like drawing something or painting something and just remembering grandma, you know, grandma showing me art.
0: (laughs) So it became basically a ritual for you to follow those same steps until now to feel that connection with her and with your work. Because oh, it is it is uh, creating that safe environment, that safe space for you that allows you to open up and start creating.
1: It was funny because, I mean, growing up um, gay in California as a young Mexican man, it was really, really difficult for me. Um, my uncles were all macho. They were all, you know, just... They weren't hard men, but they were like definitely jerks, so to speak, you know, about something that they didn't really understand, which is kind of ironic because my um, one of my uncles who was really, really prominent in um, organizing for unions, um, the U of W really, really got a lot of support from the, um, the gay and lesbian, you know, the LGBTQ community um, when they were organizing um, and doing boycotts against, you know, like um, pesticides and grapes. And at home, it was a different story. You know, you just, you can hang out with, you know, the gay people, but you can't be gay in our family. And I remember playing with dolls um, as a child with my cousins and getting caught and then just being completely berated by the uncles in my family. And of course, you know, now that I'm older and now that they're older, they understand this very differently. But at the time it was like, you know, like late seventies, early eighties. And that's just what men didn't do, you know? And, And I just remember my face just flaring up in heat and waiting for someone to protect me. But I also realized that, you know, when I was doing art, though, I was protected. I was, you know, like, I was allowed to be by myself. I was able to be creative. And it's just, you know, I still think about that now in the sense that, you know, I think my grandmother knew. I remember, like, when I finally came out, she was like, well, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, I'm not going to tell my grandmother all these things, you know, like, but she, you know, the whole time was waiting for me to do this. And, you know, and... I think she knew, you know, I think she knew that I needed safety. So that's kind of like, you know, what she did for me as well without actually vocalizing it.
0: What would you do with youth in the community of Holyoke for them to feel that safe space?
1: It's funny because, you know, I look around and I just wonder about people's creative potential. Like, what can you do? You know, you don't have a lot going on in your life. You don't have a lot, you know, in terms of resources, um, a lot of I think a lot of younger people, I think, are really, really, you know, centered around the idea of acquiring something. I don't know that they're exactly encouraged to create anything, you know, and I would definitely tell anyone that I can just like create, just do something, even if it's like, you know, a silly limerick or if it's just, you know, like a doodle that you do over and over again. I mean, we're all about consuming, but we also need to, you know, create as well. And everyone has that creative potential, and I mean, if I ever had the chance, definitely I would love to show people how to do what I do. I would love to show young people that it's within their capability, within their power to, to really start putting beauty out there. Because I think this world really needs a lot of beauty. And I mean, they all have it within them. You know, I, I come across young people all the time. Oh my gosh. I have never seen a more, you know, surly bunch of kids, but they're so beautiful and they're so young and they just don't know, you know, they don't know what's within them, you know, cause I mean, it's not on their screen. It's not, you know, on their laptop or their cell phone. It's just, there's so much more going on within them. Than I think they give themselves credit for because, you know, you have to work, you know, you have to work for these things, you know, like it doesn't come easy. Um, and if it does, then it's not going to last that long, you know, so to speak. I mean, some things, yeah, they do, um, but seriously, the efforts you put in are the efforts you get back. And I think, you know, it is, a, it is a worthwhile endeavor to create. It is a worthwhile endeavor to work for something. And you might fail, which is fine. That's part of it. You know, like, I don't know how many, like, ruined paintings I've had in my life. Like, just things that I just freak out and throw away because I'm just like, this is not good enough for me. It's not good enough for anybody, you know. And, but I, I, you keep pressing on, you know, that urge within you. Whatever it is that you think about when you wake up in the morning is the thing you should be doing even if it's half an hour a day or like 10 minutes a day, just make that progress, make that effort. You know, it's, it's, it's going to pay off.
0: Is there any work that you are uh, developing right now for any future exhibit or just a new collection? Yes.
1: I've actually, I'm starting nine pieces right now because I will never be caught off guard again. Um, I had nothing. I had nothing to show, I think, when they asked me to do the show that was Siri rehearsed. I had a lot of stuff that I messed around with. um, And it's funny because looking at at it now, I realized I was practicing for the show. Whether it was subconscious, I knew something was coming, so I was just basically rehearsing what I was going to do as a final like product for this this current showing I have now. Um, however, I definitely want to have some pieces under my belt if I'm ever asked to do something again, because <laughs> I mean, 26 pieces once again in three months was something I would I I don't know that I'd ever do. No, I, I would do it. I would actually do it. Actually, if I if I could do it again, I would definitely create the way I did because um, it's just. I guess the punishment of being a you know an artist is just that you know it's it's gotta hurt a little if it's gonna be fun you know or good you know for that matter, and um but I definitely do <laughs> I definitely do want some side pieces I can use as filler if I need to so so yeah nine pieces we'll see what happens with them I'm I'm not quite sure what the theme is I know that it's definitely a lot of color it's a lot of movement and I'm just I'm excited to see what they're gonna be so
0: is there um, any way that people can see some of your work previous work um, is there any presence online that they can look at?
1: I just started creating um, pictures and albums of the stuff that I'm doing um, for the Westy um exhibit and also for the future. Um, I have been doing art shows for, I think, from 2000 to 2013. I was doing two shows a year and it was always a black and white ink work show and also a color, like a watercolor show, but I never archived. I just, I don't know what it was. I just was kind of like, eh, I can make more, you know, and I, and I did, I would always, you know, I would always sell a show and I would always, you know, like make more pieces, but I never archived. And I, I don't know that I necessarily regret that because I mean, all the pieces are where they should be. They're with the people who bought them, you know, they, they, they're, they're home now. But I think from, from this moment on, definitely, um, I know that I have the, the journeys collection on my Facebook page right now. And, um, I'm thinking of, I guess, starting a website. I guess people still do that, right? <laughs> like oh, websites. Yes. Yeah, I was, I'm way low tech. I have no idea about anything. I think I got my first cell phone in 2003. So, like, I, I definitely want to get on board with that. Maybe some business cards. I don't know, something, you know, like something easy. And um, yeah, so that, um, there are things that are in the works now that I'm definitely going to start, you know, developing more. So,
0: I want to let you know how much I enjoyed seeing each one of your pieces. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Now getting this conversation with you and getting to know a little bit more in detail, those behind the scenes components that were involved, it gives it even more sense, even more reasons to go back and appreciate it and looking forward to see more of your work.
1: Thank you. It's funny because just recently my mother-in-law passed away. Um, Shortly after um, the art show, um, she... Um, lost her battle to cancer, so we had to fly to Florida to take care of that. Um, It also happened to be um, the anniversary of the Pulse um, massacre that occurred last year. One of my really good friends, um, Kim KJ, Daddy, um, was um, in the club that night, and um, she died along with the other um, 48 angels that evening. And um, it was one of those things where um, I have six pieces in the show that are um, devoted and dedicated to Daddy um, and the Pulse victims, um, they're all called Daddy's Mix just because once again I was writing a song and it was a song about the club And I, um, I remember thinking that there was nothing I could do that could really capture all that happened that evening and all that happened this year in terms of like um, our memories of um, Daddy and all the people that were lost that night um, I think I was walking through the show with some friends and they asked me why I used peacock plumes And, um, I said, um, don't all gay angels have peacock plumes for feathers, you know, and they, they laughed and stuff. And I kept thinking, well, no, I mean, they're exotic and beautiful, just like, you know, the gay culture is. And, um, they also like feathers to me, um, infer flight or potential. And the way they were treated on, um, this watercolor transfer that I use, um, they look like they were wet, like they were like splattered and, it just was to me and the idea of all this beauty and potential is now like a wet feather. It's a useless thing. It can no longer fly. And, um, and I, of course I got really emotional. I get most emotional thinking about it now, like just the, the, you know, the whole evening, everything. Um, and, um, and they were just kind of like, so that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, and just thinking about it, you know, like, um, I don't know why I got off on this tangent. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But I mean, it's one of those things where like, you know, effort has to be made to chronicle life. And however you can do this, whether it's through poetry, whether it's through, you know, like comics, whether it's through, you know, whatever, whatever you do, record life, record your life, you know, leave it for someone else. Because even if it's mundane, it's beautiful. And, I always feel that that's like a compulsion that I have with me every day. Like there's beauty in life, even if it sucks sometimes, you know, like there's still those moments where, you know, you feel light and you feel love and you feel passion and beauty and that's all part of it. So that's all.
0: (laughs) Well, Steven, thank you so much for sharing your mixtape, your song, your art, your experiences and your story with us here today at the podcast and for that beautiful exhibit at Wisterhurst. And we're looking forward to to more more of your work. So Anytime you have something to share, please let us know. And yeah, I would like to also extend the invitation for you to create this curated sound session so we can <laughs> enjoy some of your musical choices. That would and, be awesome to have a playlist.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for having me today. This has been an awesome experience. Like the whole month has been amazing. So I'm definitely proud and happy to be a part of this whole event. So thank you.
0: <laughs> so this is Steven Huerta the artist responsible of the exhibit at uh, Wisteria Hearst, part of the celebrations of June, Immigrant Heritage Month, but also matching June as the Pride Month. So that's another celebration to stand out and continue celebrating during during this month and throughout the whole year. It is all about celebrating our diversity and being joyful for that. So, Steven, thank you so much. And this is the Radioplasma podcast, this session, was produced at the Plasma Media Lab here at the Gandora Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Mass. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rochibeque. Thank you for listening.